This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 82, and we are recording on May 23rd. I'm Jen Northington, and I'm here with Amanda Nelson, and we are coming to you from Book Riot. Hello. Hello. Welcome. Welcome. Is that your so, Delilah okay. voice? Let's talk about the Delilah thing. Again. No, no. We took it. No, no, no. We took oh. it to the... Oh, I'm right. not crazy. We took it to the Book Riot Insiders Slack and asked them if I had just like made up Delilah After Dark. And I hadn't. A lot of people had heard of her. It wasn't or so like, much that I thought you made it up as that I was unsure how regionally bound she was. But it turns out not at all. Yeah. Um, we just didn't listen to radio, I guess. I don't know. I don't know how I missed it, but I did. Uh, what are you reading right now, Amanda? Oh, so many things. I did. <laughs> I like got in the... I started Lonesome Dove. Yes! Which has been yes. on my... I don't... I know. I've like heard such great things about it. I've owned it for no kidding, probably like eight years. Yeah. And it's gone with me through like tons of moves and I've just never started it because it's huge mm-hmm. and a Western mm-hmm. and I'm not a grandpa. Mm-hmm. However, <laughs> you, those do, are all, you do like dad books though. That's I do. I really do. Winston Churchill is my, you know, but, um, no, I started, it's great. I, I like, I don't know why. I, mean, I think just the thickness is what's mm-hmm. put me off of it so far, like this big giant mass market paperback, but I've, I'm really liking it. Well, and Westerns as a genre are inherently problematic, like the way they treat, you know, native populations. So that's, and there's women, that too. And yeah, and women. Right, and exactly. <laughs> there's so many potential pitfalls. I know. But yeah, that book, I read that after, um, after I read The Passage because Justin Cronin had said he was partially inspired by it. And I was like, well, now I need to know about that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is a really well written book for all of its problems, which it does have. But anyway, it opens with the pig eating a yes! rattlesnake, that's which like, is like I actually dang. think it's one of the best opening sentences in literature. It reminds me a lot of Dickens's uh, opening paragraph of Bleak House. Like mm. it, it's very Dickensian mm. for a for a western. Anyway, that's yeah. a whole other. Right. Well, anyway. <laughs> what are you reading, Jen? Uh, I am reading. I picked up kind of on a whim. I was I do volunteer shifts at my local bookstore, and I was um, straightening the spirituality section, and I came across this book, Living with a Wild God, by Barbara Ehrenreich. And I, I, like, I know her from Nickel and Dimed and Bait and Switch. Like, I didn't realize she'd written a book about spirituality. So I got it from the library. And it's kind of like a snarkier Annie Dillard. Like, if Annie Dillard and Mary Roach had, like, a baby... That's kind of what this book is like. Like it's a it's a memoir about her growing up and like her, you know, alcoholic parents and moving around a lot and all that stuff, but also she started having these dissociative states when she was a teenager, but there weren't those words when she was growing up. Um mm. and she like got very into philosophy and spirituality as a result. I'm only like a quarter of the way through, but it's fascinating. I mean, she's not Christian. She's not coming at it from a Christian perspective. Like she was raised to be an atheist, so it's her trying to figure out like to put all these pieces together. It's very interesting. I'm enjoying it. 
All right, so now that we have substituted our reading lives for our banter, which I think I'm liking, actually. I'm liking yeah, yeah, it quite a lot. certainly better than weather. Talk. Yes, I know. The weather is boring. We all know. Okay, so how this show works. As we mentioned before, this is a personalized reading recommendation show, which means you send us requests for us to recommend books to you, and then we do. Uh, eventually. We have a long <laughs> backlog of questions, but we are getting to them as quickly as we can. Um, speaking of getting to questions as quickly as we can, you can send them to us in a couple ways. You can email them to getbooked at bookriot.com, or you can drop them in the form that's the bottom at, at the bottom of all of the show notes on the site. Uh, and if your request is time sensitive, please do note that either in the subject line of the email or the very first line in the form, so we'll get to it as soon as we can. If we think we're not going to get to it on air uh, in a timely fashion, I will email you a response um, sometimes, working my way through some backlog there too. Uh, but we are doing our best to answer as many as we can. And I think that's right. That's all the things you need to know. So all the things. I'm going to read our first question, and then Amanda's going to tell you about our first sponsor, and then we will dive into our recommending. So the first question is from Hannah, who says, In early June, I'm going on a trip to Israel. I'm very excited for the trip, but I am dreading the long plane ride. Can you recommend some books about Israel that can help pass the time on the plane? I've received some recommendations from friends and family that mostly included travel guides. I'm much more interested in memoir and or historical fiction. I'd love to learn about the culture, but I am not interested in books that read like a textbook. I recently read Kite Runner by Khaled Hosseini. It's set in the Middle East, and I loved how Hosseini managed to share the political background of Afghanistan while still maintaining a riveting plotline. Any suggestions you can offer would be greatly appreciated. All right. Okay, before we get to answering your question, our first sponsor is Amazon Kindle, who is the proud presenting sponsor of the 2017 Scripps National Spelling Bee, which if, if you've been watching Grace and Frankie, there's like a whole subplot about the National Spelling Bee that I'm like obsessed with, and I keep rewatching that episode. Anyway, that has nothing to do with the sponsor. I'm just saying Grace and Frankie is an amazing show. It's on Netflix. Go watch it. Spelling Bee is great. Um, so as we all know and can intuit, great spellers come from great readers. So an e-reader is a great way to encourage a kid's emerging love for reading, especially as they get into like reading independently and reading chapter books by themselves. Uh, Kindle is lightweight. They can put thousands of books on it, take it with them wherever they go without weighing their backpack down, which I'm sure we all remember the pain of the, the giant backpacks in school. And a single purpose Kindle is designed just for reading only. So it doesn't have videos, it doesn't have games or apps or any of those distractions. Uh, the Kindle supports comprehension and vocab development. It automatically creates flashcards of words that the kid has looked up on it. Um, on the device for future review, and then incorporate simple definitions in the margins of books above difficult words. And with Kindle Free Time, parents can create personalized profiles for their kids and give them access to titles of their own collection of books, and then they are sent a progress report that keeps them updated on their kids' reading habits. So if that's the thing you're interested in, that is a thing you can do. So you can learn more about the ways that Kindle inspires a child's love of reading at amazon.com slash Kindle for Kids, and make sure you turn in next week to the Scripps National Spelling Bee, presented by Kindle that's Thursday, Thursday, excuse me, June 1st at 8 p.m. on ESPN because spelling is a sport. What? That's awesome. I don't, spelling is a sport, is a sport was not in my notes. I just added that because spelling I mean, is a sport. Obviously. The stress and like yeah. the sweating that these kids do. There's a lot well, of adrenaline involved. They might as well be running. Mm -hmm. Anyway, thanks for sponsoring the show. Okay. I'm just going to keep talking. Yep. Um, all right. Books about Israel. So my first pick for you is a book that I read in preparation for my trip to Israel last year. It's called To the End of the Land by David Grossman. It's translated by Jessica Cohen. This is a work of 
historical fiction, sort of. It like cycles back and forth between uh, the past and the present. So in present day, you're following Aura, who is a middle-aged mother. She's Israeli. She's on the verge of celebrating her son's release from the army. His name is Offer. Um, when he is coming back from the front uh, where he went for a major offensive. So he's about to be released. She is very excited. And in a fit of, like, reality denial, she goes out on a hike in Galilee where no one can find her because if he dies in this last, like, two weeks or whatever before he gets released, she just does not want to hear about it. Um, And she thinks that if no one can find her to tell her that her son is dead, then he is not really dead. So this is a thing she does. She, like, runs off to Galilee for these last couple weeks. She drags um, her former lover and former best friend Avram with her, who uh, was once this like very smart and brilliant kind of artist. Um, she's been recently estranged from her husband and Avram was their like collective best friends. Like the three of them were very close. Um, Avram and Alan served in the army when they were younger. Um, and then one weekend, the two uh, like very jokingly had Aura draw lots to see which one of them would get a few days of leave before they were offered um that was offered by their commander. And this like drawing of lots, this chance act that they did sent Avram into Egypt during the Yom Kippur war where he was captured and tortured. And so in the aftermath, he's like refused to talk to them and all of that. Um, And so you bounce back and forth between his experience in Egypt during the Yom Kippur war and their experience now, as she's like trying to get him back into her life um, and tell him about her son and his experiences in the army. So it's very much about, the like various conflicts that Israel has been involved in over the 20th century, um, right? Yeah, 20th and 21st century. Um, and Grossman has a really specific point of view. His son was killed in 2006 um, in Lebanon during fighting, and so he. I mean, this book was written before that, but he's got you know. I mean, he's lived in was it? It was published in 2008. So scratch that. It wasn't written before that. Um, so he's got a very specific perspective and a very close perspective to the. Uh, the history of that country. Um, so that's To the End of the Land by David Grossman, translated by Jessica Cohen. I am recommending The People of Forever Are Not Afraid by Shani Boyanju, uh, which I loved. I read it when it first came out mm, in the last seven years, sometime in the last 10 years. Um, and it is, it's more contemporary. I know you said memoir, historical fiction, but it, I mean, it's based on her personal experiences, but it is a novel. It's a contemporary novel. Uh, so it is about three girls, uh, who are teenagers in Israel, um, growing up in like a very small village and they're very normal teenage girls. Like they pass notes and they're bored and they do stupid things because they're bored. Um, but they also are then doing their mandatory time in the IDF. Um, and so they start to experience like a lot of changes. Um, they all have very different experiences in their military training and then their postings. And um, it's very much, it, I, I, it's like hard for me to express what the experience of reading this book is like. The prose is really interesting. Like it's a little um, stream of consciousness in some points. And then, but the stories that she's telling are both like some of it is just so mundane and boring and like not in like just the there's just the mundanity of normal life but then there's these moments of like you know really intense experiences as part of their military training um and also part of you know their subsequent postings so it's a really
really, it's a really odd reading experience in a very good way, um, because I think that a lot of books about war are like, you know, whiz, bang, slam, all of the things are happening all the time. And like, there's a lot of stuff that's not like that. Um, So she's really trying to portray like the full experience of what it's like to be a teenager conscripted into, you know, mandatory military service. Like, what is that like? Um, Well, this is what it's like. So uh, I thought of it because you said, you know, you wanted something that had, that was, you know, not, that was giving you sort of the background while it also gave you a story and that's what I feel like this book does really well. So that's The People of Forever Are Not Afraid by Shini Boyanju. Okay, question two is from Jean who says, my mother-in-law recently had hip surgery and has found herself more anchored to her house than she's used to. I'm just getting to know what kind of book she likes and I'd like to give her suggestions to keep her occupied. The most recent book I suggested was Where Have You Gone, Bernadette by Maria Semple and she devoured it. I think it was the artistic aspect to the woman's personality and how she found her way through her issues that she loved. My mother-in-law is very smart and impatient and extremely creative. She has to really love a book to give it her time. I've also given her A Man Called Ove and All the Light We Cannot See, and they're collecting dust on her shelf. Okay, so my selection for you is Fates and Furies by Lauren Groff, which is about a smart, impatient, and extremely creative woman who is married to a very mediocre man, uh, and the, the things that she does to deal with that. So it is told from two perspectives. The first half of the book is told from Lotto's perspective, who is the husband. He's a golden boy. He's uh, born in Florida to a very wealthy family. Um, and he's one of those guys that like can do nothing wrong. Everybody automatically loves him. And he's a success in pretty much everything that he puts his mind to, except he's not really in actuality that talented, but he's got money and charms and he's handsome. So he gets away with a lot. Um, so the first half of the book is told from his perspective. The second half is told from Matilda's perspective, who is his wife. Matilda comes from nowhere. She's a very mysterious kind of unknown quantity. They meet in college, fall in love, get married. He embarks on this artistic journey of, um, becoming a playwright. And she essentially is there to support him through his life. And the perspective, Lotto's perspective of their marriage is that Matilda is this like glamorous, beautiful, quiet, supportive, there for him, like cares so much about his life um, and like exists to make him a better person. And then when you see it flipped and the the story told from her perspective, it's a very different sort of uh, view of both his art and her day-to-day life and existence in kind of his shadow. So it's a really fascinating look at a marriage, especially an artistic marriage. Um, And I think it would be a great read right now, especially since there's a lot of talk in like, I don't know, the book world about uh, like the wives who did the typing for all the famous men, uh, male authors and that sort of stuff. So it's, it's a very kind of angry in a, in a, not as funny as Where'd You Go, Bernadette, but it has a kind of a similar level of, like, a little bit of rage. So that's Fates and Furies by Lauren Groff. I did want to find you something that was along the same kind of funny lines as Where'd You Go, Bernadette, because that was oh, so funny. I mean, Maria Simple just, like, skewers mm-hmm. <laughs> so many wonderful things, including, like, PTA emails and, uh Anyway, neighbor rage. Like, I just love that book so much. So um, my recommendation to you, which is, I haven't read it yet, but it's at hold for me right now at the library. I'm going to pick it up later today, and it was recommended when I was talking to other people about, like, trying to find the right book for this question. 
Uh, so my recommendation is Oreo by Fran Ross, which is like a modern classic um, that not that many people have read, including me, but I'm so excited to tell you about this book and to read it. So it is a satire written by Fran Ross, who wrote for Richard Pryor. Like, let's just like set the stage there. Like, this is a woman, a woman of color, a black woman who wrote jokes for Richard Pryor. Okay, so that's the kind of book this is going to be. Um, it's about a young woman named Oreo who has a Jewish father and a black mother, and she grows up in Philadelphia um, with her grandparents. And she decides when she's a teenager that she's going to go to New York to find her father. But then in the city, she discovers that there are, like, dozens of Sam Schwartzes. And so it turns into this, like, sort of Greek epic quest for her to find her father. But it's also a satire about race relations. Um, So there's a lot going on there. Um, But I think that this might be the kind of quick-moving and interesting book your mother might be interested in based on her love of before you go Bernadette. I mean, obviously, this is going to be, it's a satire, so it's going to be intensely satirical. I'm, like, trying to think about, like, you might be offended by some of the jokes that could happen. Um, but if you think that she can hang with it, uh, I think this would be a really cool book to add to her stack. So that's Oreo by Fran Ross. All right, next question is from Emily, who says, I'm an exhausted single mom of an 18-month-old and a nonprofit ED. I've always been on the happily curvy side of life, but after divorce, childbirth, and job stress, have reached a weight that's not comfortable for me. I tend to turn to books for inspiration and solutions, but so many health and fitness books are about losing weight to look pretty or attract a guy, etc. I want to be healthy and strong for me and my child. Do you have any recs for a health-slash-fitness book that's feministy or body-positive? All right, Amanda, you go. Okay, I do. I love this book so much. So my pick is Everybody Yoga, Let Go of Fear, Get on the Mat, and Love Your Body by Jessamine Stanley. Extreme who, cosine, extreme she's cosine. She's so great. If you're on Instagram, you should follow her on Instagram. She's really, really great on Instagram. Anyway, so this is a book about yoga. You didn't mention like what specific kind of like fitness style or exercise you wanted to get into, but I think yoga is a great start for somebody who's just trying to get into a healthier like way of life. And the thing that I love, this is a book for beginners and, um, it's about breaking the stereotype of what yoga is. I think a lot of us, because of the commercialization of yoga, have this idea that you have to be thin, white, blonde, really into juicing kale for some reason, and like be willing to spend a lot of money on Lululemon. But that's that's not real. Like that's not real at all. Um, you can do yoga in your sweatpants on your floor with no tools and no uh, you know expensive studio. And no matter what kind of body you have, there's a yoga practice for every ki- every every body type. And that is Jessamine's entire point. So the book includes uh, like really easy to follow directions for 50 super basic yoga poses. She includes 10 sequences that you can practice in your own house, which um, you're a single mom and so am I. And I know that like sometimes leaving the house ever is just a struggle in and of itself, especially with an 18 month old. Um, so you can do these at home and, you know, yoga doesn't have to be about getting bendy so that you can twist yourself into really impressive pretzels to like impress who I don't even know. But like, this is a book about getting stronger, no matter where you're starting from. And it's not about changing your body to look any specific kind of way. It's about getting stronger so that you feel better and can be more effective in your daily life. So it's really, really great. And I would just go follow Jessamine Stanley on every possible platform. So that's everybody yoga by Jessamine Stanley. I've been doing some of those home routines and they are, yeah, they're really good. Cause I can only get to yoga class like once a week, realistically, um, at a studio, which is great. But yeah, the home stuff I'm really, 
really, really liking. Uh, okay, so my pick for you is a book that has been recommended to me so many times that I have it here in my hands. Uh, <laughs> it's Health at Every Size. I just pulled it right off my shelf by Linda Bacon, who is a PhD. Um, and this book is one of the, like, I, it's been recommended to me a lot because it is one of the books that she's not taking as her starting point that weight loss is the first step towards being healthy. In fact, she's trying to debunk that. Like she is a scientist. She's got peer reviewed, you know, data and all of that business. And she's like, this is the, the way that our American health system talks about weight loss is wrong. Um, and that you can be healthy at any size. Like it's not about what size you are. It's about like, are you strong? Are you eating well for yourself? Like, are you getting exercise? Like it's not about your weight. So this book is all about trying to figure out like how to tune in, um, to what it is that you need to be healthy without focusing on, you know, your, the fat index or whatever the heck it is that people try to focus on. Um, so it's not about dieting. It's about figuring out like, what is the best way for you to reach a weight that's comfortable for you, for you to feel healthy, for you to feel strong. So I definitely highly recommend it because yeah, and it's not about like looking good for society or anyone other than you. Like it's about finding your place, you know, in where your healthy place is. So that's health at every size by Linda Bacon. Okay. Uh, question number four is from Christy who says my 12 year old son and I want to do our own summer book club. He enjoys many genres, but his favorites are historical fiction and post apocalyptic survival stories. He think it would also, mm, he thinks it would also, uh, Oh my goodness. I mean, I read for a living. <laughs> he thinks he would also like to try some horror too. A few of the books he's recently finished are salt to the sea and no, and the no safety in numbers series. I'm very open to him reading whatever book he's interested in. I just love that he wants to read with me. Um, I love this. This is adorable and warms the cold shackles of my heart. Okay, so I'm going to keep going. My pick for you is kind of a combination of historical fiction, post-apocalyptic survival stories and horror. So yay. It's The Hollowed Ones by Lauren Bickle. Uh, this is a YA, fan uh, well, I guess fantasy, horror novel about the Amish and also vampires. So it's not technically a historical fiction because it takes place you know, in current day. But when you're reading about the Amish, it's very hard to feel like you haven't been like transported to a simpler time in the past. So it has a historical fiction kind of feel. The main character's name is Katie. She's a teenager. She lives, uh, you know, with her Amish community, and she's about to go on Rumspringa, which, if you don't know, is like the very short period of time in an Amish teen's life where they can go off into the real world and like make a decision about whether or not they want to um, go be out in the whatever, outside of their community for the rest of their life, or if they want to stay in the Amish community. So she's about to do that. Um, but then, like, weird stuff starts happening. Like, some cows show up dead in her field with, like, their throats ripped out. And she, um, they have a neighbor who uh, I think is Mennonite, who, like, drives a car and uh, moves a little bit more freely between the different communities, who has a cell phone, um, but she, like, loses her signal one day and can't get a hold of anybody on the outside. Um, some of uh, Katie's friends who come back in from town where they went on like a, a shopping, you know, to run errands are saying that like the towns look deserted. So obviously something weird is going on. And then one day Katie finds a really gravely injured young man in her family's barn and she can't like leave him there to die. But there's been a community edict that no outsiders are allowed in until they figured out what's going on. So she, she hides him. Um, and so what's going on is that vampires have happened and the outside world has crumbled into a dystopian hellscape. And for some reason, they don't, the vampires, like, don't come on 
the, like the Amish's property. Um, and so they're trying to figure out why that is. And then when they do start to come into the property, like what happened, uh, and then they have to figure out how to survive, which the Amish are in like a surprisingly good position to survive the, the apocalypse because they don't require any of the, the grid stuff that, you know, people in most of Western civilization do. Um, so it's got a lot of that like survival stuff. Uh, it's got a historical feel and it's scary. Uh, I think it would be scary for a 12 year old who's interested in getting into horror novels. I'm 31 and I didn't find it that, you know, scary, but um, <laughs> for a 12 year old, I think it would be a little creepy. So that's the hollowed ones by Laura Bickle. And it is the first in a series. So if he likes it, there are more. I also latched on to the horror bit of this question, and I'm going to recommend a book to you that was making the rounds in my book club back in New York. It's Slasher Girls and Monster Boys, edited by April Genevieve Tuchulki. I have never said her last name out loud before. Uh, She, okay, so first of all, I love anthologies for a lot of reasons, one of which is that it gives you then a bunch of new authors to go check out. So, you know, when, when you're reading short stories, you get just like a taste of what that author is capable of, and this could really help your son find new favorite authors. So that's my first reason for recommending this. My second reason for recommending this is, oh my gosh, the lineup of authors who are included in this book is crazy. It's got Lee Bardugo in it, who Amanda's going to talk about later. It's got Kendar Blake, who I'm in love with her work. Um, it's got Murray Lou. It's got Danielle Page, who does the Dorothy Must Die books. Like, it's got Nova Ren Suma, who's written some of my favorite YAs. It's just, the lineup is so, so good. Um, and there's all different kinds of horror in here, too. Like, I am a fan of certain types of horror, but not other types of horror, but the only way you figure that out is by reading different kinds. So he may also discover, like, different types of stories that he likes that he can go look for. So I just think this would be a great choice. Also, short stories are nice for summer, especially because, like, maybe your reading time is a little spread out and is not, you don't have, like, a bunch of hours to dedicate to one novel. But you could finish a short story in the sitting if you tried. So that's Slasher Girls and Monster Boys, edited by April Genevieve Tuchulki. And, oh, it's time for our second sponsor, which I'm going to tell you about. It is Violet Grenade by Victoria Scott, which is a new YA, speaking of YA, uh, speaking of thrillery YA, this is like, this is the perfect segue. Um, It is about a girl named Domino, who is a runaway, who has blood on her hands. It's about a boy named Kane, who is very quiet and very full of rage. Um, And then a woman named Madame Karina who runs a girl's home in, like, out in the middle of nowhere, West Texas. Uh, And Domino, being a runaway, gets discovered in an alleyway by Madame Karina, and she offers her a place in this home, which has, of course, an agenda. It's not just a place for girls to stay. Madame Karina has her own terrible secrets. And Kane, who is the quiet, very angry boy, lives in the basement. Uh, So Domino, yeah, there's a lot going on here. So Domino is trying to, like, figure out how to be part of this new structure she finds herself in, fighting for Madame Karina's approval. She's falling for Kane, who has, like, got deep, dark secrets. She has deep, dark secrets. Madame has deep, dark secrets. Everybody has deep, dark secrets. You get a secret. I get a secret. You get a secret. You get a secret. (laughs) Super secret-y. Um... And so uh, if you are interested in books where everybody has a secret uh, that have, you know, taboo-like qualities like Forbidden by Tabitha Suzuma um, or, you know, the psychological thriller aspects of We Were Liars by E. Lockhart, this is a book that you are going to want to pick up. So again, that's Violet Grenade by Victoria Scott. Uh, Thank you for sponsoring the show. 
Okay, and the next question is from Melissa, who says, I'm working on a reading challenge and I would like your help. The task I'm having trouble finding something for is to read a book with an unreliable narrator. I'd love your recommendations because I can I know I can trust you not to recommend Gone Girl or one of its many knockoffs. Okay, <laughs> like let's take a moment and just appreciate Gone Girl and its many knockoffs for the joy <laughs> they have brought to our reading lives. But yes, we have other kinds of suggestions for you, Amanda, go for it. I really like Gone Girl. I know, okay. me too. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so my pick for you is a bit of a classic. It's We Have Always Lived in the Castle by Shirley Jackson, which I just got around to reading like a month ago, because where have I been? I don't know. Uh, but it's about an 18-year-old girl named Mary Catherine, who is your unreliable narrator. She lives on her family estate with her sister Constance and her uncle Julian uh, in a kind of small village town, kind of a whatever, in an unnamed place. <laughs> um, she has okay how do i I'm, this is i'm trying to not be spoilery because it's you know unreliable narrator spoils um so her family used to be much larger it didn't used to just be her and her sister and her uncle she had parents she had a little brother um and long uh, not too long ago at her house a fatal dose of arsenic found its way into the sugar bowl when they were all having like fruit for dessert and everyone dies except for constance mary catherine who's called mary cat um, and her, their uncle Julian. And so the, the Constance, her sister Constance was, um, in charge of cooking that night. And so was suspected of the murders. She was acquitted because there wasn't enough evidence. And now the three of them are living in their house kind of, um, as sort of hermits because the villagers don't trust them. They're curious, but they're also really hostile. So it's Mary Cat's job to go into town like once a week or whatever to pick up some library books and some provisions. And then they, she retreats back to their house and the three of them just don't ever leave. Um, and then one day their cousin Charles shows up um, and he stays in the house. He like turns everything on its head. They're very quiet, isolated, routine, um, gets really um, disrupted with Charles's appearance and his presence. Um, and so... Mary Cat has to figure out, like, what to do about him and how he's kind of ruining their safe existence that they've built to protect themselves from the outside world um, and a little bit from each other because you don't really know who is guilty. Um, and so Mary Cat is telling you this story, um, and it, I had, had no idea. Like, in the end, you figure out who uh, murdered their family, but I, I just I didn't see it. I just didn't, but yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, but that like does not mean much because I never see it coming. I never figure out the mystery until they want me to because I'm not an analytical reader. Same. But it's just just a creepy, like just eerie, weird book, and it, so yeah. So that's we have always lived in the castle by Shirley Jackson. <laughs> nice confession. I still haven't read it, so you're not the last person on the planet to not have okay. read it. Okay, well, that's good to know. If that makes you feel any better. Uh, okay, my pick for you is The Debt to Pleasure by John Lanchester, which I'm pretty sure almost no one else has read ever. Um, it came out in the late 90s, and I don't even remember how I found it. It was probably like a used book when I was working at a bookstore. I grabbed it or something. But this book is really funny, and 
Also really creepy. Uh, so the narrator, whose name is Tarquin Wino, which, like, yes, he is just as snobby as the name sounds. Um, that's one of the reasons I love this book. I don't really like to read books voiced by very literary dudes. Like, I find the snobbiness super off-putting, but that's kind of the point of this narrator, is that, like, you are supposed to be off-put, but also entertained by his snobbishness. Um, and he is traveling uh, to the south of France, to uh, purportedly to finish a cookbook um, and he's a food snob and he like is just constantly judging other people and cooks and chefs and eating things and talking about why they're good or not good and but that's really not what's going on in this book and I'm not going to say anything more because it would spoil it and the whole point of unreliable narrator books is that like you don't know what's going on until suddenly you do but I can tell you that the moment that you're like, oh, dang, like with cats, <laughs> what, what? Um, it's a really fun moment of, of terribleness. Like he's terrible. He's the worst human ever. Um, and figuring that out is, is a really entertaining process. So that's The Debt to Pleasure by John Lanchester. Okay, question six is from Mick, who says, I'm honeymooning in Niagara Falls in June, and I'm hoping to read a couple of books about the area. We are planning to drive up to Toronto while we're there. I would prefer books not be murder mysteries, even though I do enjoy that genre. I've read the Murdoch mystery series, which is based in Toronto. I like fiction, fantasy, romance, historical fiction, etc. Okay, I had to take this one to the contributors because I realized that I, I've read no books in my memory that take place in Toronto or uh, the, that surrounding area in New York. So I took it to the contributors and we got a bunch of, a bunch of suggestions. Um, Angel Cruz, who is a Canadian contributor of ours, recommended How Should a Person Be by Sheila Hetty, which is a novel. <laughs> it's, it's like technically fiction, but it's very autobiographical, if that makes sense. <laughs> I could hear um, those air quotes. Like, the, the novel? You know, okay. Um, and so this is a book about a girl named Sheila who is a young adult. She's trying to write a play. She has a best friend who is a painter, and she lives in Toronto. She has a bunch of very artistic and intellectual friends um, and, like, boyfriends. And so it's really just a book about, like, the artistic and intellectual life of a young woman living in Toronto and running in those circles. It is, like, obnoxious in the way that you would expect a book about artistic young people who have a lot of money and live in Toronto and are obsessed with themselves would be. But it's also fascinating. And so like if you're if this if this book had been about a man, which several versions of this book have been written by men, it would be, you know, portrait of an artist as a young man. It would be a classic and it would be hailed as like a work of literary genius about the intellectual lives of artists. Um but it's not. It's about a woman. So you might have to fight a little bit of that like Oh, she's so annoying. But that that comes from I think a kind of place of like a little bit of internalized misogyny. So if you have that reaction, which I did when I read like the first chapter, um, maybe try to get past it because that's that's a thing that is maybe not real or is not fair necessarily to the book. So that's how should a person be by Sheila Hetty, which is about the very specific portion of Torontoian, Torontian, Toronto, Toronto, Toronto culture. <laughs> How would you say that? I have Toronto? no idea. I don't know. That's not a word. That the, can't be. That, that can't be right. Torontan? I have no idea. Somebody will tell us. Somebody leave a comment, please. Um, okay. I did not finish the book that I'm recommending to you, but I'm in the middle of it. It was originally recommended by Charles Paul Hoffman. And the reason I didn't finish it is because I, I wasted some time reading some not very good books about the Niagara Falls area. I was trying to find you a good one. 
And I failed. But I did find a good Toronto one. So, with the help of Charles. Uh, it is In the Skin of a Lion by Michael Andace, um, who I kind of forgot about. Like, I haven't mm-hmm. read an Andace book in a while. Um, but this one is good. So, it's historical fiction um, about Toronto in the 1920s. And it is it is dense. Charles told me that, and he was not wrong. It's super dense. There's a bunch of different characters. Um, the main sort of main character, Patrick Lewis, uh, grew up sort of out in the woods um, with his dad, who was a very quiet and driven man, um, who was a dynamiter for loggers. So, like when um, logs would get stuck in the river when they were, you know, trying to get them to the mills, they, he would like go in and like blow up a, a specific spot. He like had figured out all the physics involved um, and was very good with dynamite. So Patrick learned some of that. And then in his adulthood, Patrick is in Toronto and he's helping a tunnel underneath Lake Ontario as part of this project to bring more water to the city. It's like a huge public works project. And so he's 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 basically digging mud under a lake that could collapse on them at any time and also dynamiting when necessary, which like is kind of terrifying to read about. You're like, oh my god, people like there's no health and safety here. Like this is just <laughs> the most unsafe thing ever. Um, there's another character named Nicholas who was part of building the um Bloor Street Aqueduct, Viaduct, excuse me, not Aqueduct, Viaduct, um, the bridge over Bloor Street that's like now people drive over it all the time. Um, and there's a thing where a nun falls off the bridge and he catches her and then she stops being a nun. Like there's a lot of things going on in this book. Um, but he's such a good writer and it's so interesting to learn about. Like this is not a part of, you know, history that I have studied much. American history is something I tend to shy away from. So this is all very new and interesting to me, uh, especially getting sort of, you know, that 19. 1920s Canadian history. So I think that you will dig it um, if you're willing to be patient with it. And that's In the Skin of a Lion by Michael Andache. Okay, next question is from Megan, who says, I've recently started really getting into romance. I had a baby almost two years ago and would like to read a romance where the woman maybe had a baby and now she is a mommy pooch and breasts aren't quite where they used to be. I'm not really looking for BBW or anything, just normal women who no longer have quote-unquote flat or taut stomachs like a pre-pregnancy woman slash heroine would have. Very good question. (laughs) All right, Amanda. Okay, um... I, again, had to take this one to the contributors. I read so much romance, but I realized that I don't read a lot of contemporary romance, which is, I think, where you would find most of the, like, awakened mom characters. I don't know. So, I anyway, I couldn't think of anything. So I asked our contributors, and Amanda Deal, who writes for Smart Bitches Trashy Books, recommended this one, which sounds amazing, and I'm going to read it as soon as possible. It's called Sugar by Cerezia uh, Glass. And so this is about a woman named Sugar, who is the co-owner of a sugar, the Sugar and Spice Cafe. So she she like runs this restaurant. She's also a part-time burlesque dancer, which I love. And she's 35. So she has a child who is a little bit older. Um, she is estranged from her kid. So she's like old enough to have had a rocky relationship with her child. Um, but she is not just, you know I mean? She's a burlesque dancer. She's fit, but she's certainly not, um, the young ingenue sort of character that so many romance novels are about. Uh, so she is, you know, doing her thing. She's a hobby burlesque dancer. She's running her business, living her life, trying to kind of like overcome some of the rougher stuff from her past. And then she meets Charlie, who is the owner of Crimson Bay Couriers. He comes into her business, 
business with like an idea for how their companies can work together, which is of course a cover for how he's like seen her around town and really wants to hit it. So he like comes into her <laughs> office with this like way to talk to her kind of a thing. So they like, they hook up, they have this really steamy, casual affair. Um, she is very happy with because she's not like ready for anything more serious than that but it's been a while since she's had somebody who like makes her feel good about her body good about herself and all that um and then it starts to get more serious for both of them they start to develop some feelings for each other uh, but they both have really complicated pasts and they both have secrets her estranged daughter like appears out of nowhere and so she has to choose between um essentially like this new life that she's built and um fixing things with her daughter but is that like a false choice you know so it's it's complicated hashtag complicated so it sounds really really great i'm like here for mom romance heroines who are burlesque dancers that sounds amazing so that's sugar by cerezia glass <laughs> nice um i have two options for you because it's actually it's harder than i have read a fair amount of contemporary in the last year and it's harder than i thought it would be to find one where the mom gets to be not in perfect shape that's also not got like the book does has other problems um so i am going to give you a wreck that i've given a bunch before on the show it's flat out sexy by Erin McCarthy, which I adore. Um, it's about uh, Tamara Briggs, who is a widow, um, and her ex-husband, or no, not ex, her deceased husband was a NASCAR driver, and he died, like, in a crash. Um, and so she's still kind of part of NASCAR world because he was famous, and, like, she, this is where all her friends are, but she's, like, never going to date another NASCAR driver. She wants somebody safe, but that's not working out super great for her. And then she meets this very young, very sexy new driver named Alec Monroe and he is like against all of her surprise interested in her she's like I am I'm I am flabby in the middle and I have two kids and I'm a widow and I'm older than him and why is he interested in me but he is and he is like a really lovely beta male like you would expect a NASCAR hero to be very aggressive and alpha but he's not at all um and so I really enjoyed this book for numerous reasons uh so that's Flat Out Sexy by Aaron McCarthy there's a great scene where he like they're in bed together for in one of their earlier encounters and he's got his hand resting on his stomach her stomach and she like moves it to her hip because she's like don't touch that um and it was such a real moment I was like oh yes um but then I've recommended it before so maybe you've already read it so I wanted to give you a second option which is worth it all by Claudia Connor this book is great for a whole bunch of reasons it doesn't describe her body in any detail, though. Like, she, like the guy notices that she looks slender in her uniform, and, like, he refers to her as soft, but her body is literally never described. So it's not there on the page, but it's also not, like, she's not super fit on the page either, so it's a little bit of a gray area. Um, but uh, what I loved about this book is that it is about a single mom named Paige. She's got a five-year-old. Um, her daughter, Casey, uh, her one of her legs didn't grow right, like a congenital birth defect, and so she, ha she is an amputee. Um, and has a prosthetic leg. And the hero, whose name is J.T. McKinney, lost his leg in a car crash and has now like built a hugely successful business developing cutting-edge prosthetics. Um, and he's been crushing on Paige. She's a waitress at the diner, and he doesn't even realize about her daughter until one day like he sees her with her daughter. So his excuse to talk to her is like, oh, I see your daughter doesn't like her prosthetic leg. Like, maybe I can help with that. Um, and it, yeah, and it's, it's a really amazing book because you don't see this on the page very often. Um, and there's multiple amputee characters even aside from that. Them. 
and there's people of color, background characters of color, like, there's supportive women, there's, like, a lot of good stuff in this book. My one problem, like, reservation about it, not so much problem, is that the gender roles are, like, very heteronormative, but it's a really sweet book, um, and it's got a lot of plot points, like I said, that you just don't see very often. So that's Worth It All by Claudia Connor. Okay, our last question is from Rasheen, who says, I'm a big fan of the podcast, um, I'm a sucker for stories about found families and misfits finding a home together. Think Firefly, Young Avengers, or The Lies of Locklamora. I'd love to read more of these. I tend to lean towards fantasy and sci-fi, but I'm willing to branch out. Something with LGBTQ characters would be the cherry on top. Okay, so my pick for you is Six of Crows by Lee Bardugo, which is a work of fantasy YA about six misfit criminals who find their way together in like the slums of this uh, universe that Bardugo's created. Um, it's based on the universe she created for the Grisha trilogy, but if you've not read that, you don't need, like, you don't need that background to read this separate separate series. Um, So, whatever. Uh, It's kind of, it's very, like, Russia-ish. The the Grisha trilogy takes place in, like, the Russian fantasy version of this universe. Six of Crows takes place in kind of the um, Northern European, so, like, Holland, Norway, Iceland kind of areas. They travel a bit, so it's not, I'm not saying that those are all interchangeable. I'm saying that she's, like, the found family moves. Um, so each of these kids, they're all teenagers, but they all come from different backgrounds. Some of them are orphans. Some of them um, escaped abusive families. Some of them are runaways, but they've all found each other. Kaz Brecker is their leader. He's like a criminal prodigy who has built this huge mythology around himself and runs a gang called the Dregs. Um, and the, all of these other kids are members of his gang. Um, and so they are hired to break into what's called the ice court, which is a military stronghold that's never been breached in order to retrieve a hostage who has invented um, a kind of medicine or a kind of drug essentially that gives some people in this universe who already have supernatural powers, makes their powers even stronger. So this could be really dangerous. Um, It could essentially like destroy the world, turn economies on their head and all of that. So um, these this little gang has been hired to go find that guy and get him out of the ice court and bring him back. Um, and he, they will be paid with, you know, riches beyond their wildest dreams. Um, so the heist part of this is fun. It's very Ocean's Eleven. It takes a lot of, like, uh, there's a lot of details. If you like that part of Ocean's Eleven where they're, like, working out the plans for how to break into whatever or steal whatever, but you still don't know how they're going to pull it off because the main characters have, like, stuff that they keep tucked, you know, like close to the vest. It's very much like that. It's very Ocean's Eleven-y. But of course, the best part is the relationships between the six characters. They've all got their own weird um, conflicts with each other. Some of them are romantically involved. Some of them want to murder each other, like very literally want to murder each other. But they're, they develop this very strong familial bond, the six of them together. Um, and two of the characters, at least, that I can think of off the top of my head are queer. So there's your cherry on top. So that's Six of Crows by Lee Bardugo, which does end on a cliffhanger, but there is a sequel that I haven't read, so I don't, I don't know about that. But yeah, do check that out. All right. I am recommending to you The Fifth Season by N.K. Jemison, which is so good. Um, and it's, it's on the darker side of the things you listed, but if you are a comics reader and or a Firefly fan, I think you can handle it. Um, but I will warn you, like some, there are children who did not fare well in this book. So if like bad things happening to children is not good for you, skip it. If it is okay for you to read about, um, this book is amazing. It has 
three narratives. Um, one is Demaya, who's a very young girl who is discovering her powers. In this world, there are some people who are called Origins um, who have the power to, uh, like, move Earth, basically. Like, they have Earth powers. Um and they are feared in the society and sent under, you know, they get a guardian who's then in charge of their every move, um, and they're sent to be trained to work for the sort of governmental, you know, body, the ruling class um, for their, you know, for the benefit of civilization, quote-unquote, supposedly. Um, their lives are not very great, uh, but they have a lot of power, and the book is about, like, the end of the world where a very powerful origin, like, basically rips open a hole in the planet and is like, I'm done with this garbage. Um, and the book, the plot of the book spirals out around that. Um, but you get, there's three narrative strands and they all are searching to try to find a family because there is not a lot of opportunity for that in the Argenes' lives. Like, they're feared by society, they're cast out by their own families, they're subject to control by other people, um, they're used by the ruling class, like, it's not a great thing. Um, and especially when the world is ending, like, and an Argene is the person who caused it, that is only going to make things harder for them. But there are some, oh, there's some amazing found families in this book. Like, there's a sequence that happens on an island that every time I think about it, it like makes me sad but also like gives me that good heart hurt um and there's an underground community of origins that you eventually meet and you're like watching them try to figure out like how to interact with others and oh it's just it's like there's a lot of feelings and and it's the first in a series so if you like it there is more uh, the third book comes out this fall yes uh, and so yeah it's 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 all about tree people trying to find ways to connect with other people when there are just a billion obstacles in the way. Uh, so that's The Fifth Season by N.K. Jemison. And that's our show! Hooray! Thank you so much for listening. Uh, if you get a chance, please do leave us a review on iTunes. We really appreciate the feedback, and it also helps other folks to find the show. Uh, thank you so much to our sponsors, and you can also find us on social media. I'm Jen IRL, Jen with two N's IRL, uh, and Amanda is I'm Amanda Nelson, and we will talk to you next time. Bye.